0: Hello, welcome to episode 17 of Defense Against the Dark Arts. I'm Paul Mill, and this episode is Conditions and Implications. Think about those two words and what their, their overlap of their meaning is. We have condition, conditions, and implications. So let's go through the definitions, right? So a condition is a restricting or modifying factor, a qualification A premise contingent upon an uncertain event, a stipulation condition. We're all square on that one. So an implication, implication is something implied, a suggestion, a logical relationship between two propositions. If something is logically true, that only means that it is true within the arbitrary constraints of the conditions of the logic someone subjected it to. (laughs) So given these arbitrary conditions, the logic, the logical implication is X. So that might be like, what the? All right, here we go. So if a business owner arbitrarily makes the condition that, here we go, remember it starts with the word if. If it's a holiday, then we are closed. This is not a universal truth. This is just a constraint that the owner said. The, all, the logical implication is that a holiday is sufficient to logically prove the business is closed. So if it happens to be a holiday, then you can assume that the business is closed because you have that logic is sufficient to prove it based on that logic but this doesn't prove that the business is closed in reality this just means that that's sufficient to prove the based on the logic that that logically would be tr- if the logic is true then that is true right so this doesn't mean in reality like the, the owner may feel like you know maybe this holiday i'm going to try to bring in some extra cash so i'm going to open up and have a holiday rush so the his his actions are defying the logic of his earlier conditional statement, right? So it's just a sentence he said. Doesn't mean that he will be closed on holidays. You know, it could just mean that he's meaning to be closed. But in the logic of that statement, we can determine if it's something's true or not based on the logic of that statement. This is an obvious and and simple concept that, you know, but the logic being true and reality not agreeing with the logic Because the logic is just a a condition in this little condition, given this little condition, this little packet of logic, that's true. But objective reality doesn't care about that little objective packet of logic, right? If the business owner happens to decide that to be open one day on a holiday, right? That's reality. That little packet of logic, right? Fails. So we got to be careful about the distinction here between logically true and objectively true. There's, there's, it's, it's subjective versus objective. It, there's a difference. And this this subtle difference, a lot of people gloss over, or maybe they just don't get it. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> they should know better. And if they do know better, and they're not, they're not expressing it, then they may be intentionally trying to deceive us. So just realize that while something may be proved to be logically true, Given the constraints of some condition, reality may not recognize those conditions and present the opposite of what is logically true in those conditions. This, uh, this, this is where I think science fails us. The dogma of science. Uh, think of um, faster than light travel. Um, anybody has gone to school, Right, taking any kind of science courses, knows that you can't travel faster than the speed of light because the oracle Einstein said we can't travel faster than the speed of light. This is in fact a scientific commandment. I took uh, an astronomy course back in the '90s at a university. I'm not going to say which one. It was in Ottawa, um, and uh, <laughs> and and this was dogma. You were not allowed to question. You were not even allowed to question. Well, what if no that does not make sense you cannot go faster than the speed of light so this was an this was a an astronomy class and in the astronomy class we're told that the universe was expanding and not only was the universe expanding the universe was expanding faster the farther away you are right but you can't go faster than the speed of light (laughs) Right, And we were told, oh, there's this theoretical. We didn't, back then, it was, it's amazing how much science has evolved just since the 90s to now, you know, with the internet. I mean, the internet was new back then. And uh, they're talking about black holes and quasars. Well, maybe we, you know, there's a theory, th- theoretical. Well, technically, I guess it's still theoretical today, even though we have a picture of a black hole. But uh, there's a lot of, well, stars can only go down to iron. When, you know, the nuclear fusion, it can only create up to iron. Well, what about fucking all the other shit? Plutonium, you know, right? No explanation. Black holes, what? No explanation for black holes. Well, I mean, it kind of makes sense. You could sort of make your own guesses that, you know, supernovas, perhaps some of these and these other types of novas. What do they call them? The the kilonovas and all these other kind of novas. They produce, you know, heavier elements in those massive uh, explosions. So, but they're like, no, you cannot go heavier than iron in a star, right? Okay. Even though there, we know there's stuff out there that's heavier than iron, right? And you cannot travel faster than the speed of light. Well, what about black holes? Light's not coming out. Well, pfft, no, don't ask, right? So since then, I think uh, cooler heads have prevailed. And uh, we've, we've, we now know that the, the, uh, the rate of expansion of the universe is not limited by the speed of light. And, and, you know, the further we see, the faster it goes, right? But then if you extrapolate to the edge, now it's not, it doesn't seem that big of a deal, but back then it was like whole taboo, right? So how could the universe be expanding faster than the speed of light if we're not allowed to go faster than the speed of light? And, and how could stuff go into a black hole and, and it can't come back out? If we can't go fast? well, then maybe it's just going the speed of light, right? Since then, they've came up with, with a workaround. They say, well... You're not going through the speed of light. It's the, the speed of space-time. Space-time can move faster than the speed of light. You just can't move through space-time faster than the speed of light. But space-time itself, there's no limit to the speed of it. It can move. So the expansion of the universe is the, the expansion of space-time, and it's the fabric of space that's expanding, as well as the stars moving, or the galaxies and everything moving around in it. But space-time itself is expanding. Now... One would have been put against the whipping post for saying this in my in my astronomy class. But today you could say that. So why? Because they've changed the implied conditions of Einstein. The condition is that you cannot travel faster than light through space-time. But due to the logic of black holes and our expanding universe, this had to be clarified. So you know, his conditions had to be clarified. So you cannot travel faster than the speed of light through space-time but you can travel, but space-time itself can travel faster than the speed of light. Hence, it is space-time itself that is moving faster than the speed of light in black holes and at the fringe of our observable universe. Science is infested with arbitrary man-made conditions. So this this faster-than-the-speed-of-light was an arbitrary, not an arbitrary, but, well, essentially an arbitrary. It was a man-made condition by Einstein and his equations. But we have to realize that it was the logic in that logic. Perhaps it's true, logically true. You know, in Einstein's equations, you can't travel faster. According to his logic, you cannot travel through space-time faster. So how? what do we do? We say space-time itself moves faster than the speed of light. But you can't go faster through space-time. So we're going to expand the condition. So outside of the conditions of Einstein's equations, we can travel faster than the speed of light if space itself is moving. I think it was Max Planck who said, uh, if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. It was something very similar to that. I don't know if if that's verbatim. I'm paraphrasing perhaps. He might have said those exact words, but it might have been something to disclose. But if you can't measure it, it doesn't exist. That was the the essential gist of what he was trying to say. So, you know, which any rational person should immediately call bullshit on. You know, the logic is self-defeating. You know, we can't measure consciousness. Therefore, does it not exist? You know, what about light? We cannot measure the speed of light. Now, a lot of you might be going, oh, we've measured. No, we haven't. There has never been an experiment in the history of our civilization that has ever measured directly the speed of light. So therefore, the speed of light through space, does not exist according to max Planck, because we can't measure it <laughs> right what about things we don't yet know and we haven't measured them do they not exist did light x-rays you know radio not exist before we could measure them and what about other animals on earth you know they they can't measure things so does that mean if they can't measure it the stuff doesn't exist for them so they don't experienced light, you know, so they're blind because they don't, you know, it's, it's insane. So Max Planck was clearly an idiot. Sure, we all say stupid things, but come on, man. You know, this brings up the concept of subjective versus objective reality. And I've covered this in earlier podcasts, but there's a difference between subjective and objective reality. Objective reality has all the data. Subjective reality does not. We have limited data. I've since read, uh, what was his name? Descartes. He, uh, he agrees with me, but he came up with his concept independently of mine, of course. And, and, uh, his, you know, he sprung forth modern scientific era that we're currently in, you know, the, the modern Cartesian epic epoch, epic of science. And, and what he, essentially, you know, of course he came up with a lot of stuff, the Cartesian, but his, the you know, philosophically, he was their subjective and objective reality, whereas the, the the ancient Greeks, they were all about everything, you know, it's sort of subjective, you know, right? So, and yes, you know, since, you know, in the 19, what was it, 27, in the 20s, late 20s, there were people like uh, the existentialists, I don't know what an existentialist but there was existentialists like uh what's his name Martin uh, Heidegger in I think it was 1927 he wrote this book uh Being and Time and there was that French guy Pertra, uh, Pertra, whatever he had one called Being and uh fuck something else anyways I can't remember but Heidegger's book Being and Time he uh, he slipped back to that uh, subjective perspective You know, and he was clearly wrong about that. But don't get me wrong. Like, I like what Heidegger said, you know, about being and that you can only be authentic or no, you can only authentically be when you honestly don't give a shit about the others. Dos man, you know, you know what others think. it's right? it's not it's not a matter of being a dick and not giving a shit about others but it's about not caring what others think and a lot of people don't achieve this authenticity you know t- until they've had to face their own mortality you know they they're, they're told they're dying or they believe they're dying or you know something along those lines uh, but clearly there's a duality of objective reality and subjective reality all data versus limited data this is self evident all right. So conditions and implications. What is a conditional statement? Uh, if something, then result. Now we've talked about conditional statements before, but we're going into a bit of a deep dive today. So it's it's a sentence that uses the word if to say the following condition is sufficient to logically prove something else is true. For example, if you trip someone, then they will stumble. This expresses the claim that tripping someone is sufficient to make them stumble. The part immediately following the if is called the antecedent, and the part immediately following the then is called the consequent. So the form is if antecedent, then consequent. Antecedent, the word comes from, well, I'm not sure. I could be talking up my ass, but ante, right, means before the antechamber. And seed means to yield. So before you yield, antecedent upon which uh, another follows. Um, consequent. Consequent. Con means with. Chili con queso. Chili with cheese. Chili con carne. Chili with meat. Chili con pollo. Do they have that? Chicken chili with chicken. I don't know. I've got to talk to somebody in Spanish. Anyways, uh, so, and sequence, sorry, so con means with, and sequence means to follow, right? In sequence, I don't know if that's the right etymology, but it's close enough for us to remember. So, consequent, consequent. Antecedent means to become before, and consequent means to become or to follow a cause. So, the form is, again, if antecedent, then consequent if-then conditional statement. So we're just giving names to the different parts of the if-then statement, the conditional. So the condition following an if statement is called the antecedent and the resulting part is then called the consequent. Over and over and over again. I'm trying to stress this because repetition is a way of how your brain will learn. You just need patience and slow down and just let it go into your brain. So now we're all using the same book. And the point of language is to try to communicate concepts especially concepts as clearly as possible to each other. As we break these concepts down, these parts need names, so we need to communicate them more clearly. Of course, some people and manipulators will use big words to try to obfuscate or bamboozle us with bullshit, but that's not the case here. That's why I'm defining the meaning of these words for the sake of clarity, so we all know exactly what I'm talking about. Because I'm trying to convey certain concepts to everybody to make sure everybody understands these simple concepts fully so that you can be a better rational thinker, critical thinker, and defend yourself against the dark art of manipulation. So some of us already know these meanings. Some of us knew them and since forgot, which happens to me all the time. And so you need refreshers. And for the rest of us, it's uh, something new. So we have to get used to these pretentious sounding words like antecedent and consequent. So don't worry. You don't have to use these words in public and sound like a pompous asshole. I'm taking one for the team by doing that here now. So as long as you understand these concepts, we're golden. So back to conditions and implications. In an if-then conditional statement, we're saying that if the antecedent is true or happens then that is sufficient to cause the consequent. It implies the consequent. There's our implication. A implies B. A is sufficient to logically prove B. This does not mean that A is sufficient to prove B in objective reality it only means that A is sufficient to logically prove B within the constraints of the if-then condition that we're talking about. So for an example, if it's a holiday, then the store is closed. It's a holiday, so it is sufficient to logically prove the store is closed within the constraints of the conditional statement, which is also called the implication because it implies it. So the conditional statement is also called an implication. So I'm going to use those words interchangeably. It implies something that implies something is called an implication and the a conditional statement implies something. So a conditional statement is an implication. So it makes way more sense when we say given the condition, a holiday implies the store is closed. So the everyday use of implication tells us it's possible that the store might be open during a holiday. If the owner manages to break their own condition, even if somebody else makes the condition, it doesn't matter. Whoever has the keys might break that condition. Right? That's objective reality doesn't care about the subjective limits of the of arbitrary limits of a conditional statement that somebody just happened to say. Right. So here's another conditional statement. If we only follow the logic of Einstein's equations, then it is impossible to send information or travel faster than the speed of light through space time. There's a conditional statement. This is not reality, it is only a constraint created by man, an equation, or a fragment of logic, similar to subjective reality versus objective reality. Subjective reality is constrained by the conditions of our limited experience. The concepts we understand are schemata. Objective reality is not under any such constraints. Though humans are desperately trying to constrain objective reality, frame it, and name it. Which is the best path we currently have in trying to understand it, so this is not a bad thing. If-then statements are also called conditionals because there are conditions. If-then statements or conditionals are directional and are not reversible. The reverse given certain, certain conditions. (laughs) We'll get to that in a second. Uh, the, the reverse of a conditional or if then statement, it's called the converse like the shoe company. So if we have a conditional statement, if a, then B the, it's not the same as it's converse, which is if B then a, you see what I did there? I switched the A and the B. The A and the B switching there, the antecedent and the consequent. When you switch their order, that is called the converse. Here's another example. If you trip someone, then they will stumble. Here's the the consequent. If someone stumbles, then you trip them. So there are many ways to stumble other than you tripping them. So you see there that it's not logically equivalent the converse is not logically equivalent to the implied, the original statement. The implication or the original conditional statement might be logically true, but its converse is not sufficient to logically prove it's true. If, then, conditional statements or implications can be thought of in terms of Venn diagrams. You know, if you remember what Venn diagrams are, they're just circles, and there's only, you know, they... (laughs) They used to visually represent relationships between two or more concepts. Where circles overlap, they're the same. Where the circles do not overlap, they're different. That's it. For example, one circle could represent owning a pet and another circle could represent owning a dog. The owning the dog circle is completely inside the owning the pet circle. That's how these two concepts relate to each other. If you own a dog, then you own a pet but the structure is not logically reversible. If you own a pet, then you own a dog is not logically sound because the circle of owning a pet includes owning all pets, not just dogs. So you could own a rabbit, you could own a bird, you could own a cat, right? That's those are all within the class of owning a pet. Now, we call these we can call these these circles, these Venn diagrams, a class. That's another way of referring to them. So if you hear somebody talk about the class of whatever, owning a pet, right? So the concept of owning a pet can be called the class of owning a pet. Owning a dog is the class of owning a dog. Just another way of referring to it. So you can think of these, Ven, these circles in the Venn diagrams as a class. The class of owning a dog is completely inside the class of owning a pet. It's a lot easier to understand the concepts visually. So some people... I'm a visual person, and I think a lot of other people are, so Venn diagrams definitely help. And there's only four ways to draw two circles, if you think about it. A, a, A circle can be smaller and completely inside the other circle. Circles can be the same size and exactly overlap each other, essentially being the same circle or the same concept or the same class. Circles can overlap a bit, and circles can be completely separate from each other. That's it. This, the, this idea of Vendigra- Venn diagrams is a handy tool. Where are we now? An implication is a conditional statement. An implication is sufficient to prove the logic of the condition. The implication or conditional statement is directional. The converse of the implication is not logically equivalent to the original statement. So you know what sufficient conditions are a sufficient condition is an antecedent sufficient to logically prove the consequent. So if we take the converse and switch them around, the consequent is not sufficient to logically prove the antecedent. Now I'm not proving these with truth tables. I'm just explaining the the concepts of them. We can go into, well, probably not on the podcast. We're not gonna go into visualizations, truth tables. So, but here's another concept. The inverse of your implication is called the necessary condition. The inverse of a sufficient condition. You know what sufficient means, so now we're going to talk about necessary. And I'm pretty sure you know what necessary means. But are they equal? No, they're not. And, and this is a, a lot of people seem to get bungled on this, but it's it's a really simple concept. If the consequent is not sufficient to prove the antecedent, So if B is not sufficient to prove the A, is the consequent necessary for the antecedent? Now stay with me. These are very simple concepts and they're very easy to lose track of. So uh, we're going to get to some some examples here. So if a dog, if, if, if it's a dog, then it's an animal. So we have if it's a dog, the antecedent is it's a dog. And the consequent is it's an animal. If it's a dog, then it's an animal. The antecedent, it's a dog, is sufficient, is a sufficient condition to logically prove the consequent that it's an animal. Makes sense, right? Pretty simple stuff. Being a dog is sufficient to prove we're talking about an animal. Now let's switch the order and take a look at the converse. Is, is talking about an animal sufficient to prove that we're talking about a dog no an animal talking about an animal is not a sufficient condition to prove we're talking about a dog obviously an animal can be any animal it can be a horse right so the the converse or the 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 inverse both of them, the two different things right now we're talking about the converse is not the the, the is not the same as the uh the original statement, the original condition. So, is being an animal, here's where it gets kind of funny, and it's the the grammar, the semantic, but think of the meaning of the words and not the grammar of the words, and you, you can adjust the grammar to suit. So, is being an animal a necessary condition to being a dog? Yes, right, so it's a necessary condition. Being an animal is necessary, right, to be a dog. You need to be an animal, right? If you're a dog to prove that you're talking about a, 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 a dog or an animal, it's the other way around. So being an animal is a necessary condition for being a dog, but being an animal is not a sufficient condition to prove we're talking about a dog in terms of Venn diagrams. The dog circle is completely inside the bigger animal circle or class you know the dog class is completely inside the animal class the relationship the relationship to each other is not it's not the same it's directional what well, i'm saying we can generalize implications to be sufficient conditions and their converse as necessary conditions so if it's if it's a holiday then we're closed right here's the, there's our, our implication if it's a holiday conditional statement if it's a holiday then we are closed a holiday is sufficient to prove the store is closed the antecedent holiday is sufficient to prove the consequent the store is closed within the constraints of the conditional statement being closed is not sufficient to prove it's a holiday it could be the weekend or it could be after hours The consequence of being closed is not sufficient to prove it's a holiday within the logic of the conditional statement. But given the constraints of the conditional statement, if it's a holiday, then we are closed. Being closed is a necessary condition of a holiday, but not sufficient to prove it's a holiday. A sufficient condition that is true is enough all by itself to deduce the logical truth within the constraints. A sufficient condition that is true means we know the consequent, but not regardless of any other facts, only within the constraints of the conditions. Right? So we're saying only within the logic of that, that statement do we know Are we that confident? So however confident you are about the initial statement, that's how confident you are about the truth, and the logic that it produces. So necessary conditions are very different. A necessary condition, while required, is not enough on its own to prove anything, even within that little logical bubble. A necessary condition is just one of the necessary parameters that are required, while a sufficient condition is enough to prove it, to prove the logic on its own. Here's an example. If, if, a, if a gas engine is running, that is a sufficient condition to guarantee there is gasoline in the tank. We have the, an antecedent of a running engine and a consequent of gas in the tank. The engine is running is the sufficient condition to prove the consequent. Having gas in the tank is a necessary condition for the engine to run but just having gas in the tank is not enough to prove the engine is running. There are many other necessary conditions for the engine to run as well as gas in the tank. The electrical system has to be functioning, the fuel delivery system has to be working, there has to be sufficient compression in the cylinders, etc. So a necessary condition is just one of the conditions required for the consequent to be true, but not enough on its own to prove anything logically or, or objectively. Now, can you think of a way a manipulator or ways a manipulator would abuse or conflate necessary conditions or sufficient conditions? How easy it is to get sidetracked and lost. Even when you're trying to explain this to somebody who, when you know it, now if somebody was intentionally trying to mess you up, it'd be pretty easy. You know, some people are, are better at logic than others because, you know, maybe they've just whatever innate skill, or maybe they've read some books on it, or their parents taught them stuff when they're younger, who knows what, whatever reason, but we all can learn logic. And the first few steps, like learning anything, will make you so much better. So it's law of diminishing returns, right? So, you know, the the difference between your hundredth hour and your thousandth hour, right? You're getting a little bit better every bit, but that first That first few steps is massive between zero hours and a hundred hours. You are like 80 or 90% an expert. You're not an expert, but you're, or maybe even you're only 60%, even if you're only two thirds of an expert in that first hundred hours, (laughs) that is a, those first few steps are vast improvement over no steps. So even if you only take those first two or three steps, that's really good. You're over halfway there to being an expert. But to be an actual expert, you know, it's the law of diminishing returns, you know, the next 10 years, next 100 years, hours, 1,000 hours, right? Then it gets less and less and less and less. The difference between 900 hours and 1,000 hours may be minimal, but the difference between zero and 100, I'm, I'm belaboring the point here. So, uh, so, So long as we recognize that there are conditions that may be logically true within the constraints of the logic, but that does not mean it's objectively true in reality, which is not bound by the arbitrary conditions of a statement or law made by someone or an equation or a fragment of logic. You could see that it would be easy to, to confuse and manipulate someone by using necessary conditions as sufficient conditions or more likely using a sufficient condition as a launching point to make assumptions about things that are beyond the constraints of the logic of that specific implication, especially if they're blasting a lot of information at you at a high speed. Now, that's why I'm trying to say certain things over and over again. So I'm not I'm trying not to blast you. A lot of information. I'm trying to break it down into easily chewable chunks. Now, a lot of you who do know this stuff might be thinking I'm going kind of slow. And a lot of you do that, you know, there's gonna be different, it's like the classroom, right? There's different speeds for a lot of different people. I'm trying to make sure that everybody can keep up. So your defense is to use logic. You may even have to write things down and ponder it before you see where the hole in their logic is. You know, new concepts can require more time to comprehend. This does not mean that you're stupid. It's quite the opposite. It means that you absorb familiar information faster, which is how you should function. If you you absorb new information slower than familiar information, therefore you are absorbing familiar information faster than new information, right? So this is how your brain's supposed to work. So this means you're supposed to be slower with new information, right? Don't feel bad. This happens, this, you know, this happens all the time. And it's, and it's not just my, manip- this happens all the time. And it's not just by manipulators, you know, when someone is explaining concepts, you know, they already took the time to absorb them. They will have a tendency to put them out faster, you know, now that they understand it and, you know, they, they may be frustrated because they don't want to waste their time saying things slower, right? Or they they uh, they might uh, they might have some kind of psychological problems, and they're trying to treat people who don't know things that they're trying to teach them as inferior. Right, simply because this the teacher already took the time to learn these new concepts and they could maneuver around them quicker now it doesn't mean that they're in any way smarter than the person who has yet to learn the new concept I'm in no way any smarter than anybody who's listening to this which you probably already deduced right so but if, if I'm explaining a concept you don't know is my point it doesn't make me any smarter it just means that I've come across this concept thought about it read about it whatever you know and and now I'm explaining expressing it to you, Doesn't mean I'm smarter. I'm just conveying this information. So this is a, this is a tool. This, this idea is used by the manipulator, especially in cults and, and ideologies. They try to make people feel inferior. It's a, it's a whole system that I'm pretty sure I covered in an earlier podcast on brainwashing or one of those, but just remember everyone you meet knows something that you don't, and you know, some things that people you meet don't. Right, it's it's a, it's a 50-50 fifty-fifty thing. Not saying that everybody knows fifty percent. You know, you might actually come across an idiot, and you do know a lot more than them, or maybe you don't. Maybe you come across somebody who thinks an idiot, and they know a lot more than you. Right? We don't know. So don't let the manipulators turn that into a dominance thing. The thing they know uh, is more likely not to be true, anyways. If they're a manipulator, they're trying to feed you bullshit. So they're going to try to bamboozle you with, you know, bullshit that. You know, you never know. Of course, you're not going to know it because it's bullshit. They're making it up, right? So simply being aware of this is the great defense against their attacks on your confidence. Is one of the things they go for is confidence, right? So it's, it's not only uh, okay to not know everything. There is no human on this planet that does know everything, despite the arrogance of some in academia or wherever who uh, imply that they do. And you know, in fact, they don't. And, and that is a major flaw to assume you know more than you do or to call yourself an expert. And therefore, you don't need to hear any, you know, uh, conflicting information, right? You already know you're the We've already talked about this. I'm not gonna go so now we know all about implications, conditions, sufficient and necessary conditions. Well, not quite. What happens when a condition is sufficient and necessary to prove something? So they're the same. Wow, mind blown, right? When this happens, the Venn diagrams overlap perfectly and the two circles are as one. What does this mean? This means that the antecedent defines the consequent and the consequent defines the antecedent. The A defines the B. If A, then B. If B, then A. They define each other. This is simply the definition of something. You know the word definition how do you define grapes the little purple things right They're whatever (laughs) this is the this is the definition of something and the definition of something is arbitrary now you might say that's not it is arbitrary how we define something is arbitrary right you think where did the word this word come from somebody just made it up or whatever right it's arbitrary what is you know the meaning so somebody has a concept and they try to frame it and name it that's definitions So going back to our our holiday uh, closed implication, the condition uh, was made perhaps by the owner, you know, uh, but what if a worker defines his time off as a holiday? It's not what a lot of other people or perhaps anyone else would consider as the definition of a holiday, but this is how the worker defines a holiday for themselves. And so it is a true condition for them as true as any other definition that exists and anyone else who uh, goes along with their definition, right? So for them, for all those people who go along with it, it's, it's just as valid and true for them as any Webster's or Oxford dictionary definition because they're defining it for themselves. So when the business owner says, if it's a holiday, then we are closed, this is a regular implication where the antecedent holiday is sufficient to prove the consequent within the logic of the condition, the condition being that whole statement, right? So within that logic, right, the antecedent, it's a holiday, is sufficient to prove the consequent being closed. But the consequent is not sufficient to prove the antecedent if the worker defines their time off as a holiday and they say the same conditional statement exactly word for word but they're saying it as a definition if it's a holiday we are closed now they're saying this as a definition the worker this is how they define the you know them not working as a holiday when the shop is closed i'm on holiday That's how I define holiday when the shop is closed, right? So this this is a slightly different logic, even though it is the literal exact same words, right? A holiday is sufficient to prove the shop is closed, according to the worker. And the shop being closed is sufficient to prove it is a holiday for the worker, because this is how the worker defines it. So a holiday is sufficient and necessary to prove that they are closed. It's equivalent to being closed is sufficient and necessary to prove it's a holiday. Now I'm starting to get kind of wordy here, but you, I think you follow the concept here. Logic is therefore semantics, what they mean by the words. The words, literally the exact same words, have two totally different meanings depending on the implication, the context. Right, So is this a, a vector of attack by a manipulator, you think? Maybe, right? So definitions are man-made and not handed down by some objective god. Definitions are subjective and only valid to all of those who agree to it. So this is a vector of attack manipulators are using a lot today. They simply denounce the definition of an old concept that society has agreed to and been using. And instead of coming up with new terms for new concepts, they redefine old words that already had meaning to mean something else. Why would they do that? In hopes of these old concepts being erased from our social consciousness. It's very sinister and it's intentional. Pure evil. And it has infested our universities, our media, our corporations, and, of course, scumbag politicians who are spineless. They go along with whatever the loudest mob screams, regardless of the logic. So, we have implications that are one-way, sufficient to prove, and their converse is necessary but not sufficient to prove. And we have definitions that are two-way, they are biconditional, they are sufficient and necessary to prove, and their converse is logically equivalent, only with the definitions. What else is there? There's the two circles of the Venn diagram that don't overlap, and they don't even touch each other. Well, hold on a sec. So we got a one Venn, we got a one class inside of another class, a circle inside of another circle. We have two circles that overlap, which is your regular conditional statement, and then we have two that are over top of each other. That's your Biconditional conditional definition of something. And now we have a Venn diagram with two circles that don't touch each other at all. One is like a bicycle tire. One's in the front, one's in the back. They do not touch, they do not cross. I feel like Dr. Seuss probably has something to say about this, but he's banned. So we can't hear from Dr. Seuss anymore. So this is a common vector of attack used by manipulators, And it's the logical fallacy of non-sequiturs. For example, they'll use the uh, false logic of, you know, two things that have nothing to do with each other. For example, you need to, here's one, you need to graduate college to be a critical thinker. False. This is a non sequitur. One does not to be, need to be a college graduate in order to be a critical thinker. Now I can imagine some of you assuming, well, you must not be a college graduate then. Well, I am a college graduate. And the fact is irrelevant to the topic of critical thinking. This is, you know, the danger of assumptions. I'm assuming that you're assuming, right? Someone out there will, right? Perhaps no one has assumed it, but there is a potential for it. And I'm showing the flaw of that thinking, the assumption of motivation. People would assume, well, you're motivated to say that because you didn't graduate. You want to say that. Well, I did graduate, right? So it has nothing to do with it. Even if I didn't graduate, even if if I'm just some, you know, uh, whatever, Right. That does not who this is the logic of uh, the fa- logical fallacy of who's saying it, who's saying something. Right. The ad hominem. It doesn't matter who's saying it. It, it should, should be able to stand on its own logic. Right. So. Uh, but we all do this. I know we do. I do it. You know, but we must realize our tentative assumptions, you know, of motivation or whatever are not facts. We need to put them in a little basket and put them to the side and say, well, maybe that's that person's motivation, but maybe it's not, <laughs> right? You know, I made a whole pod- podcast on this called Phantom Connections. Anyways, a manipulator might imply that having a degree proves a person is a rational and critical thinker. We all know logically that being a graduate is not necessary or sufficient to prove one is a rational critical thinker, as seen today by our contemporary graduates who embarrass themselves and their alma mater by using appeals to emotion, other logical fallacies, and defending irrational ideologies. You know, it's to the point of them literally fighting against reason. This is as bad as a math professor claiming that 2 plus 2 equaling 4 is part of the white nationalist patriarchy. This is how crazy academia is today. You want your kid going in debt to pay to be brainwashed by some stupid moron who is that clearly dumb, right? So it's, they're like, I used to be like, if you're stupid enough to go to university knowing that, right, you deserve to be brainwashed, I guess, right? So given the abundance of evidence, one would successfully or could successfully argue that a contemporary degree is a sufficient condition to prove that the student is not a rational or critical thinker and that they're most likely indoctrinated into a cult cult of woke bigotry, division, and hate. Either way, a degree is not a necessary condition for being a rational, critical thinker. But that is kind of funny that a degree might be a sufficient condition to prove that you are not (laughs) a <laughs> rational, critical thinker today. You're right. The fact that we don't hear more from academics speaking publicly against this cult of woke bigotry and division in academia is evidence that academia has failed. Today, academia is no different than the religions of the past. Well, there's one difference. You know, the religious people of the past could argue that maybe they didn't know any better, whereas academics today do or should know better if they are critical thinkers. And if academics are critical thinkers, then they must know the system has failed and they are complicit by remaining silent. If academics are unaware, then they don't have the critical thinking skill required to deduce it. And their lack of awareness and the failure of academia under the ideology of woke bigotry is proof that academia has failed. The only evidence that academia has not failed would be voices of opposition in academia against woke bigotry in the ranks. It's interesting how cults, speaking of these people, it's interesting how cults use this concept of a new awakening, that concept of, you know, being awake, right? born again you know uh, the jehovah's witnesses have their their magazine called awake right the i was blind but now i see right today the the dominant cult is simply called woke interesting isn't that you know <laughs> interesting and like all other cults they are intolerant of dissenting voices and want authoritarian power this is the antithesis of academia Academia is the questioning of everything, the arguing and debating of any ideas. These woke assholes of today have infiltrated big tech and the establishment and don't tolerate reason, logic, critical thinking, and have literally attacked it. What's scary is the number of assholes in academia that go along with it. If they aren't stupid, then they are cowards. A few things before I wrap this up. Uh, We have a conditional statement, which is also called the implication. A implies B. We have the converse of the implication. B implies A. We have a concept that is logically equal to the converse, that is the inverse. Now, the inverse is simply putting the word not before the antecedent and the word not before the consequent. So not A implies not B. You can think enter your whatever antecedent and consequence you want into that, and you'll see, oh yeah, that is the same as the converse. So the converse is logically equivalent to the inverse. And when we do both of these together, the inverse and the converse, this is there's a big word for this one. It's called the contrapositive. Right? The contrapositive is logically equivalent to the original implication. You know, in the context of modern academia, and theres me, I'm giving you an example now. So in the context of modern academia and their silence on woke bigotry, here we go. If academics are critical thinkers, then they are cowards. So that's the our conditional statement. If academics are critical thinkers, there's your antecedent, then they are cowards. That is the consequent. The contrapositive to that statement means we flip them and we put nots in front of them. So if academics are not cowards, then they are not critical thinkers. So it's logically, both these statements are logically equivalent. And they agree with each other. So, and again, a quick review. If we we have the original implication, which is a conditional statement. If antecedent, then consequent. If A, then B. We have the converse. If B, then A. We just switch the A and the B. We uh, It's logically equivalent to the inverse, which is just putting nots in front of the A and the B. So if not A, then not B. We mix the, the inverse and the converse, the previous two together, and we get what's called the contrapositive. If not B, then not A, which is logically equivalent to the original conditional statement. Now, we're pretty much running out of, of <laughs> things to talk about here, but... Uh, We still have a few. There's the definition of something, right? It's also called the biconditional, which means they are the same. A is equivalent to B. For example, here's an example of a biconditional biconditional and definition are biconditional terms. They are the same thing. Did you see what I just did there? I I used biconditional and definition as examples of biconditional terms. (laughs) Maybe I'm blowing your mind. Maybe you're tuning out. I don't know. We can't talk about manipulation without mentioning the concept of good faith. Good faith in argument means everyone is sincere, they're trying their best to be fair, they're open and honest regardless of the outcome or the potential outcome. I think in law they call it bona fides, not very good with Latin, bona fides, Bonafides, right? People used to say in, in old advertisements, I haven't seen this in a long time, but they would or they would claim, you know, it's the bona fide thing, which just means it's genuine or authentic. Today, authentic and genuine behavior is rare. Social media targets the low, confident people and programs them. It does. It programs them to be phony fuckwits to the point where they have no concept of genuine or authentic. Now, it's not just social media, but there's that whole, it's like the Hollywood, the disease, the mind illness that actors and all the Hollywood types have has been spread throughout the rest of society by the internet, not saying the internet's, you know, you know, a bad thing. There's a lot of good stuff, right? Knowledge, the, the great bullshit remover, right? But it's also the great bullshit creator, double edged. Everything's double edged, right? So this reminds me of something. This guy, this Martin Heidegger, Heidegger, H-E-I-D-E, I think T-E-G-G-E-R Heidegger, Martin Heidegger talked about this in his concept of DOS man, you know, that fits social media. And uh, his antidote for that was to go for a walk in the woods, have some alone time and become the authentic you. Right. So getting back to good faith. Uh, if it's a bona fide argument, everyone is doing their best and making best statements in good faith. <laughs> when was the last time you saw that on uh, Twitter. You know, <laughs> anyway, so a good faith concept is clearly a vector for manipulation by the manipulator. Right, the manipulator will not be sincere. They will not be fair. They will not be open. They will not be honest, and they will, you know, care about the the outcome. So they will change their behavior based based on you know the potential of the outcome. So this is this is obvious and and prevalent, especially in politics today. You know, in the United States, the shenanigans of the Democrats and and the news media that prop them up, you know, in Canada, it's the same thing with the liberal party and the media carrying their water and the conservatives or the right, whatever you want to call them. in both countries are silent cowards with few voices of opposition. There are a couple, but like one or two people in each country is ridiculous. Right, so these scumbags appear to be concerned about the outcome at all costs. Not the voices of opposition, I'm talking about the establishments in both countries, right? So they are the antithesis of good faith. So manipulators create bogus definitions, give conditions that are not applicable and irrelevant, make assumptions that are beyond the constraints of some specific bit of logic. That's a big one. And they don't act in good faith. So resist those who do not act in good faith and take care.